You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Hey, Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles this morning, be turning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number two. Yeah, junior church is dismissing. They do a great job back there. Uh, and boy, do they got quite a crew uh, in that. So... Um, I tell you, I think there is room for volunteers in some of our, uh, when it comes to junior church and nursery and some of these things. And so the more, uh, the merrier, if we could uh, help spread that out a little bit. Amen. All right. Uh, Well, if you have your Bibles in the book of Luke chapter two this morning, I want to uh, preach out of this great, great text. And this is a text that's not just great around Christmas time. I believe it's great year round. And we're going to begin in Luke chapter number two. Verse number one, this is the most detailed description of the birth of Christ uh, found in the Bible. It's interesting as you go through the Gospels, there's four different Gospels gospels, and there's four different emphasis. Well, I should say that Jesus Christ is the emphasis of each Gospel, as you can imagine. But the book of Matthew focuses on Jesus Christ being the King, uh, the King of the Jews. And you can that's what the entire book of Matthew starts off as. So when the Bible gives the genealogy in Matthew, it gives Joseph's genealogy. And there's an interesting thing. When the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, the, the birth records and uh, all of that was destroyed as well as far as the Jews are concerned. And so uh, the only re- that Jesus is the only one that can prove that he's the rightful king of Israel based on the genealogy of Matthew chapter number one. So that's a pretty interesting fact. But he is the king. And that's the emphasis uh, in uh, the book of Matthew and the book of Mark. It's emphasized that he's the man that the servant that would come, uh, the servant of Jehovah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. In the book of uh, Luke, he's prophesied as the man. Uh, He's God. He's man. He's all in one. And then in the book of uh, John, it focuses on the fact that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And that's why you see that reflected in the genealogy as well, because in the gospel of John, it just begins off by saying Jesus is God in the flesh. That's exactly who he is. But Luke 2, since it emphasizes the fact that Jesus became a man, that's why it deals so in depth with his birth. Uh, So as we look in Luke chapter number 2, In verse number one, the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord." 
And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, and the, uh, and the, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they, all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. I want to go back and read verse number 7 where the Bible says, She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, dear Lord, for the wonderful day that you've given us today. I thank you for each one that's made their way out to church today, God, and how I pray that you'll bless and work during this time. You know the hearts and minds of each and every one here. You know the burdens that people are carrying. You know the need today, God, and I pray that the sweet spirit of God would work upon each heart accordingly. For that person that may be here today that does not know you as Savior, Lord, they don't yet, uh, they haven't accepted this gift that was wrapped up on this first Christmas morning, the gift of salvation, the gift of you, Lord Jesus. I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you that today that they would make room for you in their lives and God I pray for uh, the other folks here God we all have different things that we're facing and I just pray that you'll be uh, working in people's hearts accordingly and we'll thank you in Jesus name amen well this is uh, the, the familiar account of Mary and Joseph's journey and arrival to Bethlehem is a story that I love to tell year around this was about a 90 mile trip for this family. Now, 90 miles is, uh, is a pretty uh, far piece to travel, but especially when you're traveling on a donkey, one walking and one on a, a donkey, that's a pretty long trip to make. Uh, but they had to make it because this genealogy. Uh, one of the great things about Luke chapter 2, and one of the reasons that as Christians we speak about the birth of Christ and we talk about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, we don't just do. Uh, you know, talk about the birth of Christ, for instance, and these passages about Christ's birth just around Christmas. And we don't just preach about the resurrection around Easter, amen? Because if it matters one time a year, it matters year round. And that's, that's true with these. Now, the, the reason that uh, the story that we just read to you matters year round is that there are many major prophetic implications found in this account. In fact, the first prophecy dealing with the events of the Christmas story are actually found in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. When the Lord said to Eve, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. I'm sorry, he said this to Satan about Eve. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. So he said, through a woman, there's going to be a child born, he says to Satan, that's going to bruise your head, that's going to bust you in the head, that's going to defeat you. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to ultimately destroy you. So what was this talking about? He was saying there, that a woman, through a woman, a son is going to be born that is going to carry this out. Now, understanding this can help you understand the entire Bible. It can help you understand world history. Satan soon, in the book of Genesis, fights this plan when he inspired Cain to kill Abel. 
Why? Because Satan was able to look at those two and say, well, it certainly isn't Cain, but it could be Abel. Maybe it's through Abel's family that this seed, this child will come. And so he inspired Cain to kill Abel. But it wasn't Abel. Uh, it was uh, God uh, brought another son to Eve and his name was Seth. And so it was through Seth that this line, uh, this line continued. See, uh, Satan knew what God was saying and he knew that this would spell his doom one day. That there was a son that was going to come that was going to redeem man. And that was going to restore the reign that was lost by sin. And that, 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 that all will be restored by this Messiah. And by the way, the, word, the name Christ literally means Messiah. The anointed one. The promised one. The one that would come be the king. So Satan understands this spells his doom. And let me just say there again, one of the great stories about Christmas is this, is that uh, it's not just about Christmas, something that happened 2,000 years ago. Folks, this passage always has to do with what the Lord is doing in the future. And you can read the rest of this chapter and find that out. That's why Anna and Simeon and these were rejoicing at what happened here because they knew it had future implications. Because the Bible says this in the book of Isaiah, it says, for unto us a child is born. That's what we celebrate around Christmas. But then it says, it goes on to say, uh, and, and unto us a son is given. A child is born, a son is given. What's that referring to? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But then it goes on in the same verse, it just continues and says, and the government shall be upon His shoulders. And it talks about him being called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In one verse, it deals with the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, and the reigning of Jesus Christ as King upon this earth. Joy to the world. Uh, that has not yet happened, but it's going to happen. But I'm telling you, Satan, he was, fighting, he was fighting Jesus being born. And then since then, he's still fighting Jesus being able to set up his kingdom effectively. I want you to know something. It's a losing battle. <laughs> Hey, I've read the last chapter and we win. Amen? I mean, it's already uh, settled. Uh, but there's a battle that ensues. And so Eve, as I mentioned, had another son named Seth. And this promise continued. This line runs throughout the background of the entire Old Testament. Uh, and and, and, and the, the devil's fighting and mission to destroy this line by all means necessary runs through the Old Testament. From Pharaoh's uh, order to kill all the Hebrew babies. That wasn't just an evil man coming up with an idea. Folks, that was inspired by Satan himself. I was just thinking this morning about how that every major world empire has tried to destroy the Jewish people. Isn't that interesting? Every major world empire has tried to destroy the, uh, the Jewish people. And I've destroyed many of them. Uh, but, but it goes all the way back into the Old Testament. And it runs throughout there. I mean, listen, uh, by any means necessary, all the way up until what we read later in Luke chapter number, I'm sorry, in Matthew, uh, when, when the wise men came, uh, how that, that Herod sent out an order to destroy all the babies under the age of two. You remember that? It was all in an effort to destroy this son that would come and bruise the head of Satan. So one reason that I enjoy the... 
the, the, the Christmas story, if you will, is because of the major prophetic implications that have to do with what happened in the past uh, and then also what has to do with the future. Jesus is no longer a baby in the manger. Amen? Uh, he is uh, the sovereign Lord that's sitting upon the throne and that's coming again. And so I like the Christmas story because of the, the major prophetic implications. I like it because there's so many uh, extremely practical lessons about the working of God, about how God works and how he keeps his promises. And so there's some practical lessons. Then there's also some personal applications. And I'm glad that this is true when it comes to the Bible. What God has to say, I'm glad he says to you. Amen. Amen. Yes, we can talk about all these prophetic major prophecies and everything. And, 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 and I always like around this time of year talking about the probabilities of these prophecies coming to pass and being fulfilled in one person. Uh, but I'll not get into those this morning. But I, I love talking about all that. But all of this also comes down to you. It comes down to you and where you stand with God. Uh, whether or not you know Christ as your Savior, and if you do know Christ as your Savior, been reminded of the purpose and the plan that He has for you on this life. I believe all doctrine, I believe all good doctrine can go really deep, but I believe it also ought to affect the way we walk and live every day. Amen? So it's not just about what we believe, but it's about what we believe that affects how we behave and we live in this life. And so, with that in mind, we're going to see bits of the prophecy and the practical and the personal all used in the message today. And without further delay, I want, to, I want to consider verse number 7. The Bible says, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, as we consider what brought them, first of all, to this place called Bethlehem. So here's where I want to pay, make some practical and personal illustrations here. Number one, we see the providence of God at work. The providence of God. In other words, God's working in the affairs of man. God working in circumstances to bring about His will. Because if we think about this today, just for instance, I want to focus your attention in just a moment on the innkeeper. I want to use his opportunity and how he dealt with the divine, a divine interruption in his life at a very busy time in his life. But it all started with this, with verses 1 through 4, a taxing, something that came from the government. There was a taxing that went forth. So as we think about the innkeeper, what was it that brought Mary, Joseph, and Jesus to his door that night? See, Bethlehem was a very small, seemingly insignificant town where nothing ever happened. Anybody live in a town like that? <laughs> seems small, seems insignificant, where nothing ever happens. And that's a lot like what Bethlehem was. It was just a little out-of-the-way place. Uh, but the, the thing is, is since there was a census declared, everyone that was, that was related out of the tribe of Judah had to return to Bethlehem because the one claim to fame that Bethlehem had was that King David was born there. That's his hometown. So when you, you can be sure when you drove into town, there was a big sign out there, home of King David, amen, uh, that lets you know this. But that was it. That's all they had uh, to claim. And so here's this little out-of-the-way, awkward little town, and people from all over, from the tribe of Judah, are flooding into this small town. It's so good to have Lander here today, but I was thinking, Lander, as we, uh, as I was thinking about Bethlehem and I was thinking about how this town sw had swollen during this time because of the guests that were coming. And what it made me think of was Sturgis. 
uh, which isn't always a great thought, but Sturgis is just a little small, a pretty quiet town. But man, you go out there the, uh, in the summer and uh, when is it, the first weeks of August, I'm not encouraging you to go necessarily, but if you go, there's going to be, uh, you know, over a half a million people in a town that's what, there's just a couple thousand that live there. And that would have looked something like this. It was crazy. It was nuts. Has it, am I the only one that's ever been traveling out in that general part of the country, not realizing there was a bike rally going on and trying to stop and get a hotel room? That's a nightmare, man. And so it would have been a lot like that in this time, this little town that was being flooded with people. And so, uh, so this town was very busy, very bustling. It was very chaotic. And you enter into this the promise of the ages, the Savior and the hope of all mankind. A child who is no ordinary child who will ever change the course of history. All this comes knocking at the innkeeper's front door. But he had no room in his life. And this is where I want to use the practical application. I'm not picking on the innkeeper that much today. But I think there's some things that we can learn about him that apply to what the Bible teaches. He didn't have room. The providence of Almighty God brought, the, brought a promise that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden right to his door. What's he going to do about it? Because what I believe today, what I know today, what I, one of the things I enjoy most about being a Christian and about being a preacher is that I can say this to people about the providence of God. I can say that God has a plan for your life. I can look at you dead square in the eyeballs and say that you were put on this earth for a purpose. You matter. And that God is working because He wants to bring you to Himself. God does not want any to perish, amen? He wants to give all the opportunity to be saved by God's grace. And if you're saved by God's grace, He has a plan for your life. I love what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But it goes on to say this, For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So in His providence, all should be saved. He, he, it's His will for all to be saved by grace through faith. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. Jesus provided the way. But once you are saved by God's grace, the Bible says you are His workmanship. Uh, created in Christ Jesus. In other words, He's doing a work in your life. And I love what that word workmanship uh, means. We get our word masterpiece from that word workmanship. You know what I look, look, see when I look out here today? I see a bunch of masterpieces. Now you may just be in process, Amen. Because if you're looking up here, that's about what you're seeing, amen. You're not seeing the finished product. It's kind of like Michelangelo. Whenever he, uh, of course, it's, it's an interesting thing when he sculpted David. And, uh, and I, I don't endorse uh, uh, nudity, even if it is uh, quote unquote called art. So, but just let me use the illustration here for a second. But, but, the, but the piece of marble that Michelangelo carved David out of, that, that piece was rejected by so many other sculptors. They said, nope, don't want it. It's no good. But he sculpted a masterpiece. You know what? Some people may look at us today and say, you know what? Don't want it. No good. Not going to amount to anything. And literally just put it out on the scrap heap. 
I'll tell you, that's how I felt like my life was uh, over 20 years ago before the, before the Lord saved my soul. I felt like I was just a reject. I felt like I would never be about to any. I was too flawed. I, I, I was too worthless. There's no way that I can be something. But I'm glad to tell you today, folks, there's a God in heaven. Amen. That He looks at us. Amen. And when others say, no hope, reject, never amount to anything, God says, oh, no, no, no. I see something Amen. I see something there. Hallelujah. And it reminds me of something else he said when he sculpted a, uh, his famous angel. He, he said to it as he, as he just looked at this slab of marble and he looked at this angel or this slab of marble and he says, there's an angel in that marble. And he says, I'm determined to get him out. Amen. And I'm telling you, we may, we may not look like much today, but I tell you, for some of us, God looks at us and says, I see an angel, bud. And God's determined to get him out of there. Amen. Miss Robin says, please, would he hurry? Amen. I mean, the sculpting takes a while, sis. Amen. It's not, uh, uh, it takes a little bit. But anyway, uh, listen, uh, the masterpiece, amen. God is working, amen. And so with that in mind, I want to ask you this question this morning and then uh, dismiss in just a moment. But first, I want to ask you this question. Do you have room for Jesus? Do you have room for Jesus this morning? See, there's a couple things to consider about this uh, innkeeper, if you will, as we consider this innkeeper as our illustration that we're using today. See, I think that this innkeeper perhaps should have saved room for this family, for Jesus. Why? Because there was a message. 700 years before the day that we just read about, there was a prophet by the name of Micah. Now, I told you, Bethlehem was insignificant outside of the fact that King David was born there. It's like a trivia thing. But Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, over 700 years before Jesus was born, said this, But thou, Bethlehem, uh, Ephratah, though thou be little among thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me to be ruler in Israel." whose goings forth have been from everlasting. So there was a message, a promise in the Word of God that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Mary did not conceive in Bethlehem uh, that she was brought to Bethlehem by this taxing that was made. And so there was an impending message here. An impending message. In other words... There is a message today that, folks, the Lord Jesus Christ has come to save your soul. If you're not saved by God's grace, He wants to save you today. You say, what do you even mean by being saved? What's that terminology? Well, the, the terminology comes from the Bible. And even if you think about it, when Jesus was named, He was named Jesus. Why? Because He will save His people from their sins. So when we talk about being saved, what we're talking about is having our sins forgiven. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. And the Bible says there's a payment, a, a penalty for that sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And yes, that speaks of physical death, but folks, it speaks of eternal separation. It speaks about a place called hell. Ultimately, it speaks about a literal lake of fire. But here's the thing. The wages of sin is death, but 
The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when Jesus came, He was born for one purpose, for one major purpose, that was to die and then to rise again. But He died, why? Because of our sins. What, 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 did they, what was the angel's message to the shepherds? Unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior. Why did, why did God send a Savior? Because we needed to be saved. Saved from what? Our sins. How are we saved from our sins? God c- confronts us, convicts us of our sin, shows us our need for the Savior. We humble our hearts. We turn from our sins. We change our mind about our sins. And we turn to Him and ask Him to be our Lord and our Savior. So that's what it means to be saved in a very... Simple way of putting it. So there's an impending message that this innkeeper had. The Lord is coming. And He's going to knock on your door. Maybe not yours specifically, but He's coming to Bethlehem. But because it may have seemed though like an irrelevant message due to its delay. Again, 700 years ago was the prophecy. So if we're really trying to pick on the innkeeper, I'm not trying to do that so much today. Uh, But just using them as a picture, it was 700 years before that this message went out. And so it may have seemed like an irrelevant message, but I'll tell you there's one thing for sure. Listen to me on this one. It was an ignored message. It was an ignored message. I'm sure, somebody may have said, I'm sure that message is for someone, but not for me. See, the knock at his door couldn't have come at a worse time. He was so busy trying to take care of his guests, he could hardly wait for things to settle down so that he could go and count his record-breaking profits that evening. When all of a sudden... There comes a knock at the door. I mean, a full end. His mind is a thousand miles away from this prophecy of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. All of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. And maybe he thinks to himself, hey, that may be opportunity knocking. Maybe it's another wealthy couple. And maybe, you know, if they have enough, we, I, I could maybe make room and put a little bit more money in the coffers. But he opens up the door, and instead of opportunity, what does he see before him? But a poor, poor couple. I mean, listen, dirty and worn, poor. I mean, they've been traveling for 90 miles. I mean, through the desert, through the wilderness, and they reach this place, and the shepherd looks at them and says, "Uh, Sorry, we don't have any room here. We don't have any room here. There's no room for you. And I say that to say this, a lot of times when you get this knock at your door, your heart's door, the gospel may not seem real appealing to you at the moment. In the moment, it may seem like, really, I need to turn from, I need to admit that I'm a sinner, turn to Christ. Just like for the, the, the innkeeper, these folks, this couple did not look very appealing to him. And I'm telling you, for a lot of people, the gospel doesn't look very inviting. But I'm telling you, folks, that if you just know what's inside, amen? Amen. And many of us can testify to that. I say that to say this, because God perhaps has knocked on your heart's door before. Maybe He'll do so today. And when you open it up and think, really, I would have to turn to Christ? I would give my life to Him? Man, I don't know. I think I want to keep, keep kind of what I've got. I don't have any room for Him in my life. 
I don't have any time for this. I don't have room for this. Why? Because this night, when you think about it, this this is not an opportunity. He, He does not see this as an opportunity. He sees this as a problem. He sees this as an inconvenience. And again, his attitude, his response to this opportunity, I don't have room, I don't have time for this. You know what he may have said? He may have said, I'm sorry, I can't do nothing for you now, but if you come back next week, the crowds will be gone, and then we'll have room. Do you know the people that have sat sat in this church? Do you know the people that have heard the gospel message that say things like that? They'll say, you know what they'll say? They'll say, next week, next month, maybe then I'll come to the Lord. Maybe then I'll open up the door. Maybe then I'll invite Christ in. But I'm telling you, too often, next week is too late. Next week does not work. So one thing was for sure about this. This was an ignored message. My question, think about this. With the Lord coming to this town, Bethlehem, the world was about to be forever changed. I'd say this about the innkeeper and about you as well. Don't find yourself on the wrong side of history. God's great opportunities may not look so grand when they first uh, unassumingly knock at the door of your life. But I'm telling you, see it for what it is. Do you have room today? If your life has no room, you think about this. Your life today, maybe your life is so crowded, you just don't have room for the Lord. You don't have room to see God change your life. But you think about this. Some people's lives are so full of stuff, but yet you still feel so empty inside. And you keep cramming more stuff into your life, but when it comes down to it, you're still empty. See, After a few days, the crowds were gone. After a few months, the money was gone. And there he sits, empty, wondering if there's more to life than what he's living. Hoping that maybe someday his opportunity will come along. Whatever that is. When all the time his opportunity is at the door right now. His opportunity is there now. What will you do with the opportunity? So we see, number one, an ignored message. We see quickly, number two, an unacceptable option. The Bible says there in verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So you know what he said? He, He said this, You know what? We don't have room in here, but we've got a stable out back. We've got a stable out back, and you can go and stay in the stable with the animals overnight. So I want to say there was an ignored message, but I want to say number two, there was an unacceptable option. Because you may be thinking, well, he did give them a place to stay. And I guess, arguably, he did. He gave a place, but he gave a stable. See, some people will make room for the Lord on Sunday mornings. Some people will make room occasionally for the Lord. Maybe as a young person, you know what I thought about as I was thinking about this? Maybe as a young person, you're making room for God in your present. You're like, you know what? I'm at home. We do the church thing. That's cool. I'll go along with that. In other words, so you have have room for Jesus in your present. But what about your future? Are you willing to trust your future to Christ? 
and to trust your future and to say, you know what? No, it's not just now. It's for now on. I want to serve God. I want to live for God. I want to make a difference for the Lord. So the unacceptable option is, yeah, okay, I'll give you this little place over here. Beware of that. Beware. I wonder if this man felt really good about himself. Well, that was really good. I mean, I didn't have to let him have the stable. And I say that because that's how we can be sometimes. Yeah, you know what? I'll make a little place for Jesus over here. I'll make a little time for him over here. But the, the, the truth of the matter is, is we've got to ask ourselves this question. What are our priorities? See, we aren't justified by just giving him a little space in our lives. We're justified when we say, you know what, Lord? I want you and I want to give you all my life. I want to give you myself. I want to uh, surrender my heart and my life to you. Let me tell you something. It's inconvenient. It seems inconvenient when the Lord comes calling for this. Wait a second. I've got plans. But we've got to be willing to trust when God says, I've got greater plans. I've got greater plans. It was inconvenient. I want to say something else about it. It was an ordinary night outside of the crowds that were there. But see, the day that the Lord knocks on your heart's door may just seem like an ordinary day. It may not seem like an attractive message to you. And it may seem like an inconvenient message to you. But I want to challenge you today to open up the door. Because we see an ignored message. We see an unacceptable option. Then lastly, we see a missed opportunity. Think about this. God brought the gift of heaven straight to this man's door. Literally. The Lord came from heaven through the womb of a virgin. I mean, and the promise of all the ages. I mean, to, to, to what the rest of time will hinge upon uh, the, the, the birth of Christ, before Christ and after Christ. And I know they're... they're you know, uh, arbitrarily just changing that now. But there's still no question that the birth of Christ split time. This comes to this man's door. You talk about this opportunity. And what I want to say to you today, I wish I could express, I wish I could somehow get across to you the opportunity. Because it's no different when God Almighty brings you to a place where you can hear this glorious message. When He brings you to a place where you can hear about His love and His faithfulness and His goodness. And then He gives a gentle knock at the door of your heart. Luke 19, Jesus said this. Luke 19, 42. He said, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. He's speaking to Israel, but He speaks to us today. If you just knew the peace that I have to offer you. If you knew the gift, if you knew what welcoming me in meant, then it goes on to say this, if they, if because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Will you today please see and understand the time of your visitation? If you don't know the Lord today, open up to Him. Do you have room for Jesus? Child of God, I want to say this to you as well. Maybe you have accepted Christ as your Savior. But I like to use the illustration, and I'll continue to do so, that Jesus, when He said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. 
He that openeth up, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. But do you know the thing, the truth about the, the context of that verse, the interpretation of that verse is to people that are saved. It's to the church. Because we can let, we can let Jesus get crowded out of our lives. We can get it to where we just have Jesus, we, we just pay him lip service. Or maybe there's just certain times rather than just saying, you know what, Lord, I, want you, I just want you in my life. I want to give you my life. But if you're here today and you're not saved, I, I apply that challenge to you. What will you do when the Lord knocks at your door? And I say that figuratively, of course. When He speaks to your heart. When you know right now deep inside. You may not understand at all, but if you understand you need Him today, you can accept Him today. You can be saved today. You can take advantage of this opportunity. Amen? Do you have room for Jesus today? Let's all stand, please. And as we do, I just want to... As always, the, the, the altar is open. But whatever your need may be today, do you have room for Jesus? When you're a workaholic, man, sometimes it's hard to make time for Jesus, isn't it? So busy. Oh, my life is so full right now, but yeah, but we still have this emptiness. You know why? Man, we need to make sure Jesus is preeminent. That He's number one. Amen? And you know what you'll find? It's amazing if you put Him first how He'll make room for the other things in your life that matters. He'll make a difference. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, I invite you to open up your heart's door. Pastor, how would I open up my heart's door? With a simple prayer from your heart. Jesus said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here today and you know you need to be forgiven, you know you need to accept Christ, you haven't done so. Oh, I believe. That's wonderful to believe, but it's not just talking about a believing in the sense that we often use the word. It's talking about trusting. It's talking about putting all your weight upon it's not about trusting in that and my church or, that, or Christ and my good works. Christ and being a good person. You may be standing there saying, I've been an awful person. I don't know if God could forgive me. Let me tell you something. He can and He will. Maybe you struggle with your pride today and you feel like you're such a fine person. You don't need to be forgiven. But let me tell you something. You do. That's why He came. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ, would you ask the Lord to save you today? Would you come to Him? Would you call on His name? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for the privilege of being here today, God. God, and I pray if there's anyone here today, God, that needs to make room for Jesus, that You'll help them to do so right now. Help them, dear God, to humble themselves. Lord, they don't have to understand everything, but God, if they understand that they're a sinner in need of forgiveness, God, they can call on your name. And I pray you'll help them to do that right now. Because from their hearts, God, they could pray a prayer or something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Please come into my heart and my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. Now God just uttered those are just words. But if a prayer like that can be prayed from the heart, dear Lord, a person can know what it means to open up their lives, open up the door to Jesus.